I guess the story we're going to study today as we continue in our series, Favorite Bible Stories, was always a favorite uh, for the boys when the Sunday school teacher announced it. I mean, it wasn't every Sunday that you got to study about frogs and lice and locusts and flaming hail from the sky and water turning into blood and piles of dead fish. You just didn't get to hear that uh, every single Sunday. And so I suppose that on that particular Sunday or during that month or quarter of lessons, uh, we boys would sit up and pay attention and really take notice. And I'm talking about, of course, the story about the Exodus, the Exodus, uh, how God brought his enslaved people out of Egypt And delivered them with a mighty hand. Now the challenge before me today is how to cover a story that we say would take up at least the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. How do I cover that in one message in 30 minutes or less you hope? Uh, How do I go about doing that? Well, that's the challenge before me. But the great news about it is, thankfully, the Holy Spirit is already taking care of that challenge and that problem because he's already provided a summary for us to study. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer of one particular psalm to cover not just the Exodus, but to go back to the time of Abraham all the way through to the promised land in just one psalm. And I want you to open your Bibles this morning to that psalm. And I need you to open your Bibles then to Psalm 105. Now, I do want you to find the book of Exodus, chapter 1. And I want you, if you would, to put your a marker there or some way to mark or put your finger there. We're going to come back to Exodus 1 in a moment. We're going to spend the majority of our time today looking at Psalm 105. And we'll have a lot of other scripture as well. But I'm going to project a lot of that so you can be prepared to write that down. Psalm 105. As we think about the Exodus, how God brought his people out with a mighty hand. Psalm 105. And we're going to walk through this psalm. We're going to pick up our reading at verse 5. And I'm going to kind of show you the different sections of it as we go and show you how this psalm covers this material. The first section we're going to read covers the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want you to watch for them as we read. It covers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Psalm 105, verse 5. The Bible says, Remember his marvelous, that is God's marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He's the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Now watch this. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed, very few and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones. And do my prophets no harm. Now, just stop for a moment. And let me tell you, coming to a new section here. This brings us to Joseph, my personal favorite Bible character in the Old Testament. We studied through the life of Joseph uh, some time ago. 
But Joseph now walks on the scene, and we see how the Lord used Joseph beginning at verse 16. Moreover, he, that is God, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent him, released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Now watch the next verse because we find out how Israel ended up in Egypt in the first place. The next verse says in verse 23, Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. Now, here's what I want you to do now. If you'll put your finger in Psalm 105, we're going to come back to it in a moment. And now go back to Exodus 1. And I want to insert some verses from Exodus 1 to kind of set the stage. They don't lose Psalm 105. We're coming right back to it. But Exodus chapter 1, I want you to see what happened. Because in Psalm 105, now Israel is in the land. Jacob's in the land. The children of Israel are in Egypt. Now, let's see what happens. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Something happens that happens to all of us. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now watch verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Listen, there's so many of them. If they were to turn on us and join our enemies, we'd be in trouble. Here's what we're going to do. Verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives, look at it, bitter, hard with bondage, in mortar, in brick, in all manner of service in the field. And their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. They're there building as slaves, building all this, doing all of this um, hard, laborious work day in and day out. And we now go back to Psalm 105 and pick up the story. We have a man walks on the scene named Moses. Now, we're leaving out a lot, obviously, because we have, of course, Moses' early life. But in Psalm 105, we pick up the story at verse 24. We find Moses is going to walk on the scene. It says in Psalm 105, 24, he increased, that is, God increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses as servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. And now we get to the plagues. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they did not rebel against his word. He turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. Their land abounded with frogs, even to the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and lice in all their territory. 
He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck their vines also and their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. So we have the plagues. By counting correctly this past week, he covers eight of them in that passage. Verse 37 He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. Don't close it up yet. We're staying there. So we've come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. There arose a king who knew not uh, Joseph. That generation passes off. God's people are there in bondage and slavery, serving with rigor. He brings Moses and Aaron on. He brings the plagues. He brings deliverance. And now we come to Psalm 105, verse 39 and so forth. We go on in the wilderness wanderings and even into the promised land. Look at verse 39. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. He brought out his people with joy, his chosen one gladness. Notice the promised land, verse 44. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles and they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. In one psalm, you go from Abraham through to the promised land. Now, we could spend literally probably weeks unpacking all that. And that'd be great, but that's not our intent in this series. In this series, we're taking one one Sunday and we're studying a favorite Bible story. So we want to think about the Exodus, these plagues, and Pharaoh and the rest. And so I want you to turn your attention back to verse 5 for a moment. And this time, just the very first word in Psalm 105, verse 5. What's the first word you find there in Psalm 105, verse 5? Remember. Remember, why did God record all these things in his word to begin with? Why are they in the book of Exodus? Why are they in Psalm 105? Because he wanted them to remember and he wants us to remember. And as I was thinking about this last night, verse five says, remember his marvelous works, which he has done. You think about all the things that God has done. Then it says, remember his wonders. And there's so much to remember. Then I find very interesting. It says to remember at the end of that verse, the judgments of his mouth. Don't just remember the miracles and the wonders and the works. Remember his judgments. You know, there are some things that we need to forget and there are some things we need to remember. As I was studying about this past week, I got to thinking about last Sunday. Last Sunday we were here. And do you remember what happened last Sunday? What did we celebrate last Sunday? We celebrated the Lord's Supper. Why? Because he said to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what does the scripture say about the Lord's Supper? It says, as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of remembering the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover celebration, which falls in this same time frame we're studying today, was a time of remembrance as they remembered when the death angel passed over. 
And those who had not painted the blood on the doorpost and done what God said to do, their firstborn were killed. And so they would remember that year after year as they celebrated the Passover. When you go to enter into the promised land, you have Joshua. They're raising up stones of remembrance. Why? Because there's some things that God wanted them to remember. And so there's some things that we need to remember as well, beloved. And as we study this passage and the plagues and, and piles of dead fish and lice, and this makes you want to itch all over and think about it. But as you study this, there's two main things, two main truths that I think that are brought to our remembrance. That's some things we need to remember in particular. And I want to share them with you. Two things in particular. Number one, we need to remember that we serve a powerful God. We serve a powerful God. Now picture in your mind, beloved, Moses and Aaron. Remember, Moses has been on the backside of a desert keeping sheep, sheep and God appears to him in a burning bush and going to send him back. And here he comes and he says, I can't talk very well, Lord. Well, I'm going to send Aaron with you. They walk into the throne room of Pharaoh. Now think about Moses and Aaron for a moment. Who were they in comparison to Pharaoh? How do they appear in comparison to Pharaoh? Look at their power compared to his power. From a human standpoint, there was no contest whatsoever between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. But beloved, they were not standing in that throne room alone. God was with them. And God manifested just a tiny bit. Can I just say that? Just a tiny bit. Just just a speck of his power. And he brought Pharaoh and Egypt to defeat. I mean, he just he just flexed his muscle just a little bit and brought destruction to them. Let's walk through it again. Verse 28. He sent darkness and he made it dark. They did not rebel against his word. He covered over the land of Egypt in darkness. He turned their waters into blood. Can you imagine? They look at that powerful river and think, oh, what an awesome. We know it's an attack here as we've studied through a lot of this, even against their own idols and their own gods. He turned that mighty river there into blood and the the fish float to the top. Their land abounded with frogs. Boy, wouldn't that be pleasant? Even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came swarms of flies. I assume they were biting flies. And they came upon the land. Imagine that. It says the lice in all their territory. Well, what a blessing that would be, wouldn't it? He gave them hail for rain and it was a flaming fire in their land which struck their vines and their fig trees and splintered the trees of their territory. It doesn't mention the fact the livestock were impacted. Uh, it was another plague. He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number, ate up all the vegetation in their land, devoured the fruit of their ground. And then to top it all off, because they kept hardening their hearts and hardening their hearts, he destroyed the firstborn in the land as the death angel passed over and the firstborn of their people and their livestock, their strength was taken from them. And finally, they said enough. And it's interesting, God not only brought his people out, he brought them out with great riches. Look at verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among them. Of course, we know God had plans for that, too. You go back and study, you find the tabernacle and all the things they needed. It was already provided. In fact, the Egyptians were so ready to get rid of them, they were glad when they left. Look at verse 38. Egypt was glad when they departed for the fear of them 
had fallen upon them. Never forget, beloved, we serve an all, the all-powerful God. You say, well, I, I know that preacher. Well, let me ask you something else then, beloved. What are you facing right now? What obstacle is overwhelming you right now? Think about it. Is there something in your life, something you're dealing with, some situation, some circumstance, some relationship, some problem that's kind of overpowering, overwhelming you at the moment? Have you got it in your mind? Now, I want you to take that thing that's in your mind right now that's overwhelming you, and I want you to compare it to God's power. I want you to compare it to God's power. Look at it in the light of the one who created everything. Look at it in the light of God Almighty, the all-powerful God. It might be too much for you, but it's not too much for him. You need to grasp that and catch that. For some reason, I was thinking this past week, I remember when I was a little boy. And I was out in the field with my grandfather. And I think my brother, I was trying to think about who was there. I think my brother was there. I'm pretty sure he was there. I assume some of my uncles were there. And we were out picking up hay bales out in the field. We were placing them on the trailer of the back of the, of the tractor so that it could be hauled then to be put in the barn. And I'm just a little boy. Well, maybe I was never little. I was just a young boy. <laughs> And you know what I remembered about that episode? And I kind of see it, if I remember correctly, it's in the field right across from my grandmother's house. And I can see the red trailer. I can see the tractor in my mind's eye. And try as I might, as hard as I could, these were those you know, square bales of hay, try as I could, straining as much as I could, I could not pick up one of those bales of hay. I was just a little guy. It was too much for me. It was too heavy. It was too much. It overwhelmed me. But you know what I found out real quick out in that field? Though I couldn't pick it up, my brother could. He's six years older than I am. My brother could pick it up. My granddaddy could pick it up. My uncles could pick it up. Why? Because they were bigger and they were older and they were stronger. What was too much for me was not too much for them. And beloved, think about it. What's too much for us is not too much for our loving, powerful, heavenly Father. And so I want to encourage you, whatever that thing is, whatever that circumstance, that situation, that relationship, that problem that's overwhelming you today. Maybe it's been there for a long time. Maybe you've been carrying that thing. Maybe you brought it in this morning. Would you want to take it back out? Listen, beloved, don't take it back out. Bring it to him. Ask your loving Heavenly Father to bear it for you. Ask him to take over that situation. Ask him to do what he deems best. Remember, he's the all-powerful God. He's the one that just by flexing just a little bit of his power, he brought Egypt to its knees because he's the all-powerful God. But you know, there's something else we need to remember. And this is just as encouraging. And it's this. Remember that we serve a promise-keeping God. We serve a promise-keeping God. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. Don't answer out loud. But in your own heart, I want you to think about this question. Why did God bring all these plagues upon Egypt to deliver his people? Don't answer out loud, but in your own mind. Why did God bring all these plagues upon the Egyptians to deliver his people? You got your answer? The scripture tells us here. He did it because he remembered his covenant with Abraham. He remembered the promise that he made. In fact, we read it. Look at verse 8. 
It says in verse 8, He remembers His covenant forever. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations. I've got to think about it. A thousand generations. It's an everlasting covenant. The covenant, verse 9. The covenant which He made with Abraham, His oath to Isaac. Verse 10. He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Verse 11 saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. Drop down to verse 42. After he brings them out and brings them in. Here's what he says in verse 42. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Why did God deliver them? Why didn't God just let them die in slavery, be snuffed out? Because he made a promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan. I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. I will protect you. I will keep you. And he did that. And may I say this morning, he's not done keeping that promise. He's going to fulfill every bit of it. And here we find part of that as he brings them out and brings them in. Our God is a promise keeping God. We need to remember this, beloved. We need to remember that he remembers. We need to remember that he remembers. He always remembers. And just as he keeps his promise to Israel, so he keeps his promises to us, beloved. This is somewhat personal, but I'll share it because God just depressed it from my heart. But I remember one day I was struggling greatly with some things in just the last several months. And I'm out walking. I'm out praying to the Lord. And I'm struggling. And I'm crying out to the Lord. And I look up and I see a rainbow. Now we know God says He put His bow in the cloud to remind us the promise that He would never again flood and destroy the entire earth. Sad to say, there are wicked people that have taken the rainbow and used it for immoral, wicked reasons. But the rainbow itself is a sign, a reminder uh, to remind us that God has said, remind himself that God said, I'll never destroy. And I wasn't worried that morning about the world being flooded, but I was being flooded with a lot of things in my life. And I looked up and I saw that rainbow in the cloud. It reminded me that my God is near. My God's in control. My God. Reminded me of my God. And beloved, He's a promise-keeping God. Can I just review just some of the promises that God has made to us as believers? Let me just encourage you. Just jot the references. I'm going to show it to you on the screen. And some of these are familiar. Some you may not have thought about in a long time. But these are promises that God has made to us. And God always keeps His promises. First of all, we know that God promised He'll work all things out for our good. He'll work all things out for our good. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together. Let's read it out loud together. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. How many things? All things. You say, well, how can that be, preacher? I don't know. I'm not making the promise. I can't do that. God can. And God says, I'll take all things, bad things, good things, hurtful things, celebrating times in your life, and I'll work them all together for good. He's working all things together for good. God promises that. God cannot lie. God always keeps His promises. So whatever you're going through today, God says to you, Christian, I'm going to use this for good in your life. You say, I don't know how. Well, that's not up to you to know how. It's up to you to trust God as promise. God has promised that he'll work all things out for our good. Here's a blessed one. Did you know that God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us? 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Other people might. People in your life that you thought they will never leave me, they may leave. They may disappoint you. They may betray you. They may turn on you. But God says to you in His Word, Christian, God says to you, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There's never a time where you'll truly be alone. Why? Because I'll never leave you nor forsake you, God says. Did you know that God has promised to supply all of our needs? Now, not all of our greeds, but all of our needs. Matthew 6.33. We studied this just a little while ago in Sunday school. It was the other week. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Talking about what you're going to eat, and what you're going to wear and those necessities of life. All these things shall be added to you. Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your need. Not all your greeds. We've got lots of greeds, don't we? But all of our needs. According to what? According not to my riches or your riches. According to his riches. Where? In glory. By whom? By Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, beloved. He'll supply all that we need. Here's something you may need today. Did you know that God has promised to comfort you, to comfort me, to comfort us in all of our trials? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of mercies. And notice what he calls himself there. The God of all comfort. Verse four, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Did you see how much God is concerned about comfort? God says, listen, I'm going to comfort you in all of your troubles and the comfort that I give to you. I want you to comfort other people. Kind of a cycle of comfort, if you will. God has promised to comfort us in all of our trials. Here's one you need. We all need this one. God has promised us peace instead of worry in our lives if we'll pray. God has promised us peace instead of worry in our lives if we'll pray. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried about anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And watch the next part, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Watch this. Will guard your hearts. And your minds through Christ Jesus. Don't you need that in your life? I know I do. We're tempted to worry and fret. God says, listen, you pray about it. And I'll guard your mind. And I'll guard your heart. And I'll give you a peace. How is it the world looks at Christians that are going through all kinds of things? And there's a peace about them. They say, how in the world can that be? Well, it's a peace which surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that only God can give. God has promised to give us peace instead of worry when we pray. Let me just give you one more. Some of the promises that God has given to us. Say, well, let's talk about promises. Because this story about the Exodus is a story of God keeping his promise. He kept his promise. God has promised to finish the good work that he's doing in us. Philippians again, chapter one, verse six, being confident 
Don't be worried about it. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you, Christian, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry. Say, well, God's going to give up on me. God's not going to be able to do this much with me. No, he's promised. He's going to he's going to work in you and finish the good work. Which he's begun. Ultimately, we know that when we see Jesus face to face, we'll be like him. Let me ask you again. What are you facing today, beloved? Please know that God is powerful enough and he's loving. He can handle it. Give it to him. He's a promise keeping God. He's promised to love you and keep you and to provide for you and to meet your needs in your life. Let me just say for a moment, let me stop for a moment. If you don't know God, then you don't have these promises. But you can if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray you'll do that today. Well, all of that brings us back to Psalm 105 again. And in fact, it brings us back to the verses we didn't read. You know, we started at verse five. We didn't read verses one, two, three and four. But you know what? These first four verses, they tell us, I think, a fitting response to what we just studied. These two great reminders. We just studied that God is a promise keeping God. God is an all powerful God. And so because we serve an all powerful God and a promise keeping God, how should we respond to him? Well, I think there are at least four ways we should respond. And we find those in the first four verses. Let's go back and read that. It says in verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face forevermore. Now, you notice when we read through the psalm, the very last words in verse 45 were praise the Lord. And then we come back to the beginning now, verses one through four, and we find one of the first responses we should have. Uh, to this promise keeping and powerful God is we should praise him. We should praise him. Verse one, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse two, sing to him, sing psalms to him. By the way, when people are singing here, whether it be the choir, guest, soloist, congregation, you say, well, I don't like that song. Well, it doesn't matter. We're not singing to you anyway. <laughs> singing to the Lord. Sing psalms to him. Sing to him. Verse 3. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice who seek the Lord. So the very first thing we should do is praise the Lord. When the psalmist gets to the end, he thinks about all of God's power and all of his promises. From Abraham to the promised land, he ends by saying, praise the Lord. And we find it again in the opening of the psalm. We should praise him. Secondly, we should pray to him. We've seen that in some of those promises, but we see it specifically in verse 1. It says, after all, give thanks to the Lord. It says, call upon his name. Why would we not call upon the name of an all-powerful, promise-keeping, loving God? Pray to him. Thirdly, we should declare his truth. Verse 1 says, make known his deeds among the peoples. Verse 2 says, talk of all his wondrous works. You know, I got to thinking about this. I was praying through this psalm. This is what my job is as a pastor. It's to praise the Lord, to pray to him, declare his truth, make him known. And then all of us, fourthly, should depend on him. Did you notice it said in verse four, seek the Lord and his strength 
seek His face forevermore. Because He's all-powerful, because He's a promise-keeping God, because He's loving, because He's who He is, we should depend upon Him totally. How do we respond? We praise Him. We pray to Him. We declare His truth. We depend on Him. Perhaps I can give it to you a different way that might be a little bit easier to remember. Three words that start all with the letter R that you can take with you today based upon what I just said. Simply this. Remember, rejoice, and rest. Remember who your God is. Rejoice in who your God is. And rest. In this glorious God. And now we move from the exodus to your life. What is it that you need to bring to him today? What is it that's overwhelming you today? What is it that's too great for you today? Please know it is not too great for him. I beg you to come as we sing the closing hymn today. Kneel at this altar And say, Lord, this is too much for me, but it's not too much for you. And so, Lord, I give it to you, remembering that you are a powerful, promise-keeping, loving God. I rejoice in you, Lord, and I rest in you. I give this burden to you, and I rest. You may have come in today burdened, but my prayer for each one today is that you leave rejoicing And you leave at rest because of our wonderful, powerful, promise-keeping, loving God, whom we're reminded of when you think about a bunch of lice and frogs and dead fish, that God was not just playing games. He was keeping His promise because He is a promise-keeping God. Father... We rejoice in you. You've told us, Lord, to call upon you, to praise you, to sing psalms to you, to depend upon you, to seek you. And so, Lord, we do that today. I pray if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior, that this will be the hour. As this song is played, you'll bring them seeking you. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, may these next few moments be life changing as they bring burdens that maybe they've been carrying for a long time. And they bring them to you and they leave this place rejoicing and at rest. In Jesus powerful name, I pray. Amen. Three thirty four is the hymn we're closing today with. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. The invitation, I hope this could be to be saved. Come let me know that. We'd love to lead you to the cross today. If you're a child of God today and there's a burden, would you come and roll it off of you onto the Lord as we stand and sing 334. Blessed assurance, let's stand and sing.